0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org.
1: Our scripture reading for the day is Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. So if you'd like to grab a Bible or pull it up on your phone device, You can do so now. It's Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Who strengthens me yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So
0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians 4 if you haven't done so already. Now today is Palm Sunday when we remember Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem for what would be his final week before his crucifixion and and as he entered into the city Jerusalem was filled with with joy and Jesus came riding on a donkey Israel's kings rode donkeys during times of peace horses were for war And so he comes riding this beast of of peace, and the people wave palm branches, which are symbolic of of victory. That's what they do when a king returned from victory. So, So the picture is Jesus entering into the city as a victorious king who brings peace. And this made, rightly so, made his disciples erupt with joy, to the point that the Pharisees got a little bit annoyed. I mean, Luke chapter 19 and verse 39 says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Like, in other words, you couldn't shut these disciples up if you tried, or joy might break forth from the rocks. Like, like for the disciples... Palm Sunday was full of joy in Jesus, but by Friday, Matthew 26 and verse 56 says, then all the disciples left Jesus and fled. Jesus is arrested, mocked, whipped, crowned with thorns as if to prove he's not a victorious king that that palm sunday claimed he was no it 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 was almost as if to say see what kind of crown he truly wears one that shows he's defeated and on his way to death and so the disciples left they fled for joy in jesus had fled from them like how could they possibly have joy in Jesus now? That is a question that had to echo in the hearts and minds of the Christians in Philippi. Does it not, like as we've been studying this letter written to the Philippians, does it not strike us as a question that they would wrestle with? I mean, the Philippians, they had embraced Jesus with joy, but we've learned that over their 10-year history, they've experienced growing opposition from the outside. They've experienced growing affliction from within their community. I mean, what began for them with Palm Sunday-type joy in Jesus now had to be fleeing from their hearts because, truth be known, they were living amidst crucifixion Friday. At least that's what it had to feel like. And so we've seen, Paul writes them to call them to press on in joy in Jesus. But the question is how, Paul? Like how? There's the question echoing around in their hearts and minds, right? How could the Philippians possibly have joy in Jesus now? And if we're honest, Shades, if we're honest, that question is echoing around in the hearts and minds of many of us. Today, I mean, many of you have got to feel like, great, it's great that it's Palm Sunday and all, we're supposed to be filled with joy in Jesus, but if we're honest, it feels a whole lot more like our world is living in the midst of Crucifixion Friday. And joy in Jesus is not filling us, but fleeing from us. Like amidst a global pandemic with over a million cases of COVID 19 and a constantly climbing death toll, amidst social isolation with no real end in sight, amidst all this darkness that would tempt us towards despair, how could we possibly have joy in Jesus? Paul believes it's possible. Paul believes it's possible. I know that because he closes this letter with a call for us to have joy in all. In all circumstances. In all days. In all the things that we face. In all the Palm Sundays. And in all the Crucifixion Fridays. Paul calls Philippi and he calls us to press on toward joy in Jesus in all things our question is how Paul how in the world are we supposed to have joy in all his answer begins in verse 10 read it with me Philippians 4 in verse 10 I rejoiced in the Lord greatly megalos is the Greek word you can hear our English word mega and there big paul says i've got mega joy great joy that phrase that he uses right there uh, the the bible uses that phrase to speak of this kind of joy uh in times like surrounding the birth of christ It, it, it talks about joy megalos uh about when, it, when it talks about the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the preaching of the gospel in, in power. And Paul says, yep, that's the kind of joy I'm feeling right in this moment. Jesus being born, Jesus rising, Jesus ascending kind of joy. Mega joy. But don't forget, Shades, Like, Paul is in prison when he says this. He's not standing at the empty tomb or at the manger side. He's in prison. It's not exactly Palm Sunday in Paul's world. No, I mean, he himself has described his life as feeling a lot more like Crucifixion Friday. If you remember, back in chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul spoke of his life as fellowshipping with Christ in his sufferings and becoming like Him in his death. Paul says, that's what my life is like. Fellowshipping, hanging out with Jesus in his sufferings. Becoming more and more like the crucified Messiah. Yet, it is in the midst of a life like that that Paul also says he rejoices greatly. How? How can Paul have joy in all? Let's keep reading. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Aha! We go. Paul is rejoicing because the Philippians have done something to help him out while he's in prison he says they've revived their concern for him that word revived it it pictures a plant blossoming anew in springtime like their concern for Paul is showing itself in a new way what's this new way verse 14 helps us answer that question he says yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And now we get it since the philippians first believed in jesus they've been partners with paul in the gospel he told us that all the way back in chapter one in verse five you've been my partners in the gospel from the first day until now and what we see that part of that at least means is it means they have helped him out financially they've provided some kind of financial support for paul as he has been on his missionary journeys says you've done this from the beginning even when i first left you i didn't even get as far as thessalonica thessalonica is like only one town over paul's like you were already sending gifts my way once and and again now it does seem that they have not had an opportunity for some time to show that kind of support and love towards paul uh, we don't know why. Maybe Paul's been in a position where he didn't really have a need or maybe the Philippians just simply didn't have the means. But whatever the case, now they have revived their concern. This gift-giving relationship is blossoming anew. They've sent Paul a gift via Epaphroditus. Paul's blown away. He says that he is well supplied. you got to understand, he's in a prison system in Rome where if you're not able to provide your own food supply, you don't eat. Like, the government's not paying for your meals. They'll just let you starve in prison. You depended upon friends or family or some kind of outside support system. Because of this gift from the Philippians, Paul says he is well supplied. This must be why Paul rejoices greatly. I mean, this would enable us to rejoice greatly. In the midst of our current situation, wouldn't it? Like, if you could know that your financial needs were covered amidst all the economic uncertainty we're facing, if you could know that you would be well supplied, you wouldn't lack for anything, not even toilet paper, like, then we would rejoice. Greatly. Paul rejoices in all because he has great gifts given to him. Right? Wrong. The gifts are not the cause of Paul's joy. Not at all. He wants to make extra sure that we know that. That the Philippians know that. In verse 11... Right after He tells us that He rejoices greatly, He says this, not that I am speaking of being in need. But it, in other words, I'm not rejoicing because I had this need to be filled up and supplied and now that need is filled so now I have joy. No, Paul says, no, that's not the case. No, Paul wants them to know, I have joy. I am content whether my needs are met or not. That's what he says. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Altarkes is the Greek word for content. I mention it because it was a popular word amongst Greek stoic and cynic philosophers of Paul's day for for the stoics and cynics autarky contentment that was the essence of virtue it it was what you strived for to to be content meant that you would live your life totally unaffected by your circumstances sounds a lot like what Paul's saying right you would live your life totally unaffected by your circumstances because you depended upon nothing but yourself and your own innate resources you looked inward to you to the resources that you possessed within yourself you didn't depend upon anything outside so nothing outside you could affect you is that what paul's talking about with this contempt? it sounds kind of like it he says he's content in every situation whether his needs are met or not verse 12 he elaborates what he means by that i know how to be brought low that word has economic connotations i know how to be impoverished live in poverty and i know how to abound how to have economic abundance paul says i know how to live in poverty i know how to live in wealth in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Like the Stoic and the Cynics would look for the secret for contentment. I've learned the secret of facing plenty. That word has food connotations. I, I know how to have a, plenty of food to eat, and I know how to go hungry. I know how to live in abundance and need. Those final two terms just cover everything else. Like whether we're talking about money, and I got none, or I got a lot, whether we're talking about food, and I got none, or I got a lot, doesn't matter. Whatever we're talking about, any kind of abundance, any kind of need, I know the secret. I know the secret of joy in all. The secret of contentment, even when my needs aren't met. What's the secret, Paul? Are the stoics and the cynic right? Like, is, is the secret to depend upon yourself? No one else? Total self-sufficiency, just look inside, learn to love myself, learn to be okay with me, not need anything from anybody else. Total self-sufficiency. Paul, how do you have joy in all? He tells us, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says this is not about self-sufficiency, this is about Christ-sufficiency. This is not about self-dependence. This is about Christ-dependence. Paul is not speaking of being in need here because he has all he needs. Paul is not greatly rejoicing because he's been given great gifts. No, he's greatly rejoicing because he has the greatest giver. Paul has joy in all because he has Jesus. This is, James. That's the big secret. That's why Paul's using that term, tongue in cheek, firmly planted in cheek. Paul has joy in all because he has Jesus. Oh all throughout this letter paul has told us over and over and over again jesus is my joy in one way or another in many different forms he said jesus is my joy so if he has jesus he has joy if he's poor he's still got jesus and jesus is his joy so he has joy if he's rich he's not gonna let that distract him from christ he's not gonna depend upon that he's got jesus and jesus is his joy So he has joy if he's facing hunger or plenty, if he's facing abundance or need, if he's facing health or a pandemic. Paul has joy in all because he has Jesus. Amidst all the Palm Sundays and the Crucifixion Fridays, Paul can do all days, all things, Through Christ who strengthens him. Because Christ has promised to strengthen him. Christ has promised to provide every ounce of power he needs to face everything. A passage that's very similar, parallel to Philippians 4.13 is 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. There Paul states it as a promise. This is what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace abound to you. Every ounce of grace that you need. In 2 Corinthians 12, he's going to compare that grace with God's power. He's going to say it's power. He's able to make all power, all grace freely abound to you so that having all sufficiency. You want to guess the root word in Greek? Altarcase. Contentment. Having all sufficiency, not of yourself but of all that God is supplying. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That sounds an awful lot like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has promised to provide Paul with all he needs in Christ. And Paul lives his life by faith in that promise if you remember back to chapter 2 we did a whole message where we talked about faith being the means by which god provides the promised power into our lives we we compared it to me with my son asher and me throwing him and him experiencing my power as i throw him he's only going to experience that power it's going to be delivered into his life through faith If he doesn't trust me, he won't experience the power. But I promise it to him, and through his faith, he gets to experience it. This is how Paul lives. God has promised to provide every ounce of strength he needs for everything that he faces. Paul believes that promise, steps out in faith in that promise, and he has found it to be true. God delivers the power he has promised through his faith. Paul has joy in all because he has Jesus. He has all these. Now, does that mean Paul is not thankful for the Philippians' gift? I, I mean, it, it, it's kind of weird to receive if I received a gift from you and my response to you was, I am rejoicing greatly, but not because of the gift you gave me. I really didn't need it. I've got all I need in Jesus. Like, I've got joy in all, but not because of your gift. That could sound a little strange. Maybe sound like some ingratitude. Some thanklessness. Paul knows that. And he doesn't want his words to come across wrong. So in verse 14, he quickly adds this. Yet it was kind of you. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's very thankful for what they have done. He's He's so thankful for what they've done that he goes on a, a brag session in verses 15 and 16. We already read them, but he basically recounts how they've been helping him in this way since the very beginning of his ministry and all throughout his journeys. And their revived concern on his, it, it, their revived concern, it is part of his greatly rejoicing. How? Like I, I feel like I've said two things that contradict each other, and maybe you feel that way. It's not the gift that makes him greatly rejoice, but their having given him the gift is part of his greatly rejoicing. How? You see, there is more to Paul having joy in all. Yes, he has joy in all because he has Jesus, but there's more. It's, it's not the gift, but it does involve the gift. How? The answer comes in verse 17. Look at it with me. Not that I seek the gift. He's already said, not that I need it. Now he says, not that I seek it. In other words, this isn't why I share this relationship with you. This isn't why I'm so affectionate for you, because I need you to keep sending me money. I'm after that gift. Paul is no televangelist here. He's not promising prayer rags for the next donation. No, not that I seek the gift, but he does seek something. He is after something that is going to contribute to His rejoicing greatly. He's getting that something. What is that? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What does that mean? Like, I think Paul has already told us what this means. He's, he's reusing some language. If you go back to chapter 1 in verse 22, He says this, he says that as long as he lives in the flesh, as long as he is still breathing, that means fruitful, fruitful labor for him. In other words, he says, I want to spend my life laboring for fruit to be born in the lives of those that I minister to. I seek the fruit. That's what I'm living for. That's what I'm laboring for. I seek the fruit. Well, what is the fruit? Again, I think in chapter 1, and verse 25, He tells us, He says, as long as I am in the flesh and I'm with you, the Philippians, here's what I'm aiming at. Here's what I'm laboring for. Here's the fruit that I'm seeking. He says His aim is their progress and joy in the faith. We should make progress. Enjoy. I want your joy in Jesus to grow, to to increase the fruit is their progress and joy in the faith. They're ever increasing joy in Jesus, compounding like interest in the bank. That's the image that he's using. If we take all this back to chapter 4 and verse 17, that's the image he's using when he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit he's using this image of of compounding interest like like He's been using financial language to describe this gift, and he keeps carrying that language on right here to say, What I'm after is your joy in Jesus growing and growing and growing. That you would have joy in Jesus, and that glorifies him. And when you see his glory, that gives you more joy, which glorifies him more. You see that glory, it gives you more joy, which glorifies him more. You see that glory, it's compounding interest. It doesn't stop, it just builds. That's, that's what I'm after. I am after your ever increasing joy in Jesus because that glorifies Jesus. When you have joy in Jesus that grows no matter the opposition from the outside, the affliction from within your church, no matter what you are facing, when you have joy in Jesus in the midst of a pandemic, that glorifies Him. Paul is after their ever increasing joy in Jesus because it glorifies Jesus. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And now listen to how he describes that gift. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Your gift, Philippi, is fragrant, acceptable, and pleasing. All of that is Old Testament sacrificial language used to describe sacrifices that glorify God not every sacrifice glorifies God we learn that from the very first time we ever read about sacrifices with Cain and Abel right not every sacrifice glorifies God so what what sacrifice is fragrant to him acceptable to him pleasing to him is it the biggest and the best the greatest financial gift we can possibly bring No. The sacrifice that is fragrant, acceptable, and pleasing is not so because of what the gift is, but because of how the gift is offered. The sacrifice that glorifies God is not because of what the gift is, but because of how it is offered with a heart that wants Him, that rejoices in Him that loves Him. Psalm 51 and verse 16, David writes, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased. It's one of our words. Pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. A heart that comes humbly before You and wants you it's not the gift but the heart that wants god as its joy that is the fragrant acceptable pleasing offering to god and that is what the philippians have offered their gift glorifies jesus not because paul is well supplied and it was a substantial financial gift it glorifies jesus because it shows that the philippians joy is in jesus Their joy is not in their money or their possessions. They're willing to let go of that to help the gospel go forward in Paul's missionary efforts because Jesus is their joy. Their joy is not in their security and safety. They're willing to let go of that and to be dangerously associated with Paul as his partners in the gospel. What what do you think it'd be like in Philippi, a little Rome that prided itself on its Roman citizenship to find out that this little group of Christians is sending financial support to someone in Roman prison, potentially on death row, as a traitor against the empire. They would let go of their safety and security to be associated with Paul as his partners in the Gospel because Jesus is their joy. They will let go of anything to hold on to Jesus, and that glorifies Jesus. That's what Paul is after. That's the the fruit that he seeks. Paul is after the Philippians' ever-increasing joy in Jesus because that glorifies Jesus. And when Jesus is glorified, Paul's joy is magnified. Same is true for you and me. Jesus is glorified. Our joy is magnified, which glorifies Jesus, which magnifies our joy, glorifies Jesus, magnifies its compounding interest. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Not because of the gift, but because it displays Jesus is their joy. It glorifies Jesus and magnifies, that magnifies Paul's joy. He rejoices greatly. This is the second thing. Second how. How of Paul being able to have joy in all. Paul, yes, he has joy in all because he has Jesus, but also Paul has joy in all because Jesus is glorified. Paul has joy in all because Jesus is glorified. Again, he has said this over and over throughout the letter that when Jesus is glorified, his joy is magnified. That's become a refrain throughout this series. He says it probably most pointedly in chapter 1 in verse 20 where he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored, glorified in my body whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if I live, I'll glorify Christ with my life. And if I die, I'll glorify Christ with my death. And if Christ is glorified, my joy is magnified. So it doesn't matter. Live, die, die. In all things, Christ is glorified, therefore, I have joy in all. Paul has joy in all because Christ will be glorified in all shades. Even in every single thing that currently lives in rebellion against Christ right now. Oh, he'll be glorified in that too. Make no mistake Paul has told us in chapter 2 and verse 10 that a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father he will be glorified in all Jesus Paul excuse me Paul has joy in Jesus because Jesus will be glorified and when Jesus is glorified Paul's joy is magnified This is how this is how Shades, how Paul has joy in all, because he has Jesus, and because Jesus is glorified. And, and as he brings this letter to a close, Paul turns towards the Philippians, and he, he turns towards us, and he says, Shades Valley. The same is true for you. You can have joy in all. Yes, in a pandemic. You can have joy in all because you have Jesus and because Jesus will be glorified. See that with me, Shades. First, we can have joy in all because we have Jesus. Look at verse 19. Paul says to the Philippians and to us, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's just another way of saying you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God will supply every need. You can do all things. He's going to supply it according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens you? God will. He says this is a promise. God will. He will supply every need of yours, Shades Valley. And I just want to say, really? Like, every need? And I know Christians without adequate food and clean water. I know Christians who live in extreme poverty. I know Christians who've died from disease? Did God meet their every need? Yes. Shades. Yes, He did. For they did all things through Christ who strengthened them. They held on to Christ amidst hunger, amidst poverty, amidst disease, by the power that Christ was providing. He provided everything they needed to cling and hang on to Him to the end. And He was glorified. So their joy was magnified. He provided everything they needed. We, we love to quote this verse. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We, we love to quote that, but all too often we quote it as if it means I can do all things I choose to do or I want to do and God will make it successful by Christ's strength. Like, I can get that promotion at work because I want it, and I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. I can find that marriage and that family that I want because I can do all things through Him that gives me strength. Or, heaven forbid, I can win this football game because I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. But shades, none of that is what Paul means. Like, we, we've seen what he means by the phrase, I can do all things. All things is not just this empty bucket we can fill up with whatever it means. He's filled it up with meaning he we've seen what i can do all things means and it emphatically does not mean i can pick whatever i want god to pour out his power on and make me successful at no paul means i can face all things hunger Plenty, poverty, rich. I can face any and every situation. But whatever comes my way, not what I choose to pick and to pour my life into, but no, whatever comes my way in all situations that come into my life, I can do them and glorify God through the strength that He provides. I can face starving. I can face poverty and have everything that I need to cling to Him everything that I need to show the world that nothing surpasses the worth of Him. I can have everything I need to glorify Him by finding my joy in Him. My God will supply all of that. And I I know that Because He supplies my every need in a way that accords with the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's how verse 19 ends. Look at it again. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Or another way to translate that, which I think is also acceptable and right, is my God will supply every need of yours in accordance with His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, He will supply my every need in a way that accords with, a way that shows, displays His riches in glory in Christ. He will supply my every need in a way that shows the surpassing worth of Christ. In other words, it's not just from Christ that the strength comes. Christ is not just the source of providing the strength. My God supplies all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ. That's true. But He also does it in a way that displays the surpassing worth of Christ. My God will supply everything I need to cling to Christ in all things so that the world may see the surpassing worth of Jesus. So that the world may see that I live My life, I do all things in His strength. Could God supply us with any greater riches than by giving us Christ? We we have joy in all because we have Jesus. Shades, you have Jesus. Right, right now, You have Jesus. And no pandemic can take Him from you. No job loss can take Him. No economic hardship can take Him. In fact... In the midst of those things, God will provide you with all you need to cling to Christ as your greatest treasure. When you think you have no strength left to hold on, He will provide you with the strength you need to hold on. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He will supply your every need according to His riches in Christ Jesus in a way that shows the surpassing worth of Christ. In the midst of all that we are facing, God will provide you with everything you need to cling to Christ. I, I love the story of Corey Tinboom. Boom. Brad mentioned her last week, but I, I love this particular story about her as a little girl. She she witnessed the death of an infant, and at this very early and tender age, she was confronted with the reality. Of death. And her father tried to console her, but she, she just simply sobbed to him and said, I need you, Papa. You can't die. You can't. She'd been confronted with the reality that we will all die. And she was thinking about the death of her father one day, and she said, I, I can't do that. I don't have the strength to do that. You can't die. You can't. Her father replied, "Corey." When you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? She replied, Just before we get on the train. Exactly, he said. And our wise Father in Heaven knows when we are going to need things too. Don't run ahead of Him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. As an adult, Corey's family would be arrested for hiding Jews from the Nazis. They would be interned at the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her sister and her father would die in that camp. Corey alone would survive. And for the rest of her life, Corey testified to the strength provided by Christ. Her God supplied her every need, and it displayed the surpassing riches of the glory of his glory in Christ Jesus. Shades. You may think, I can't do this. I can't face this, what we're facing. It, in the midst of, of all that, if, if I lose my job if if this social distancing drags on for who knows how long and affects my mental health in so many different ways if if you're the owner of a small business and you face having to let people go at at work if if you get sick or someone you love you love gets sick or even dies and you're sitting there thinking i can't do this shades in that moment on that day I have a God who is faithful and His mercies are new every morning. And you may not be able to look down the road and think, oh, He's given me enough strength and mercy for then," because His mercy comes each morning. He hasn't given you tomorrow's mercies. They'll be there tomorrow morning. He's given you today's mercies to face today's issues. And I know that this is true. My God will supply every need. His mercies are new every morning. He will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus so that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We have joy in all not a flippant or a flimsy joy that pretends like everything is okay no a deep abiding joy that lasts and holds unshakable even through tears of great sorrow we have joy in all because we have jesus cling to him shades right right now especially now cling to him so that the world may see His surpassing worth, and they might come to find joy in Him too. Shades cling to Him and glorify Him before the world. That is the fruit that I seek in your life. Your ever-increasing joy in Christ. That glorifies Him. And shades, let me tell you, when Christ is glorified, my joy, our joy is magnified. We have joy in all because we have Jesus and because Christ is glorified in all. We have joy in Jesus because we have Jesus and we have joy in all because Christ will be glorified in all. Jesus is our joy, so when He's glorified, our joy's magnified, like the compounding interest we've been talking about. That's true for Paul, and it's true for us. And that's why He ends this passage with the doxology that calls us to glorify our God. Look at verse 20. To our God and Father. He's our Father because He lovingly, caringly supplies every need we have so that we'll be able to cling to Christ. So to Him, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen just means yes. So let it be. To our God, be glory. He will be glorified in all things forever and ever. For even every ounce of evil will be defeated and His perfect justice will be executed. All wrongs will be righted. Redemption brought to completion. We have joy in all because Jesus will be glorified in all. All Palm Sundays and Crucifixion Fridays. That's why we don't call them Crucifixion Fridays. We call it Good Friday because we see it through the lens of Easter Sunday. And every Friday that you experience right now that feels like a crucifixion Friday will be transformed by the final resurrection, the completion of what Christ's resurrection began, the completion of redemption will turn every crucifixion Friday into a good and glorious Friday. Shades, this is how. This is how we have joy in all, even now, because we have Jesus, our joy. And Jesus is glorified, so our joy is magnified. Let's glorify Him right now, shades. Right now, today, on this Palm Sunday. Let's glorify Him now. Let's let's do verse 20. Let's do this doxology. And sing to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever.
1: Amen.